Thank you so much for listening to our podcast uh, for this episode. Uh, we had recorded this message during our service and had a few technical issues, so I decided to just have a sit down and go over the notes and share this message with you. Um, we're on this message talking about being together and what's wrong with the church. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy that field. And many times when we think about the kingdom of God, when we think about Jesus, when we think about heaven, we can think of that as, as, as a, a treasure in a field, just like Jesus talked about right here. But part of attaining that treasure is buying the field. And uh, that's kind of the way I look at church. I look at church as this this field that I've bought into to get this treasure. I, w- I want to explore a few ideas with you about the church, a few realities, if you will, about the church. The first reality about the church is there is only one church. Yeah, I know, I know. There's there's thousands of churches all over the country. Maybe in the city that you're in, there might be thousands of churches. I know here in the Metroplex, there are thousands of churches, you know, uh, probably literally in uh, the Metroplex here. But really, there's only one church. I love Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, and make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body. Notice it says just one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. When we speak of the church, we're talking about the ecclesia. That's the Greek word for church. You can kind of think of it as the global church, the the capital C. And what that means is those that have been called out, those whom Jesus said, come to me, and we responded and we said yes. The church is, is, is those that have placed their faith in Christ Jesus. Secondly, there is kind of a little C church. That would be our different local bodies. We see this in Scripture. You know, there's the church of Ephesus where we just read from. There's a church at Galatia. There's the church at Rome. There's all these different churches in Scripture that we were talking about. Those would be the small C churches, but really they're all part of one big body. They might have different emphasis, this type of thing, but there's only one church. One church, just as there is one spirit. So the first reality of the church is there's only really one church. The second reality is the church is made up of people. The people we refer to as the body of Christ. 2,000 years ago, the body of Christ was Jesus physically on the earth. We called him the body of Christ at that time. Now, today, the representation of Jesus on the earth in physical form is the church. It's the people that have said yes to Jesus, the ecclesia, those that have said yes. The problem with people is that we're flawed. We're messed up. We have weakness. We have struggles. We have battles. So if the people are flawed and the church is made up of people, therefore the church is flawed. There are no perfect people. 
So there are no perfect churches. There's no perfect pastors, no perfect leaders, no perfect people. The church is made up of people, so the church is flawed. Number three, the church is his idea. It's his church. It's not man's idea. The church wasn't some organization that people decided to come up with. No, it was God's idea. It's his church. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus tells Peter, he says, You're Peter, and I'm Jesus. And upon this revelation, Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church. He didn't say I'm going to build Peter's church. He didn't say I'm going to build all the people's church. He said, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So three realities of the church. Real quick, there is one church. Number two, the church is made up of people. And number three, it's his church. You know, there's several observations that can be made about the church. I love what Yogi Berra says about observations. He says, you can observe a lot just by watching. You know, the church has its problems. It has its issues. It's flawed, just like the people. And these aren't new. We see this in the book of Acts. and We see this in the life of Peter and Paul. There were problems way back in Scripture. So certainly there's going to be problems with the church now, again, because the church is made up of people. But these are some observations that we see uh, nowadays with the church. Things like the church is fake. It's a show. It's a production. It's too political. It's too man-pleasing. It's too self-governing. It's too liberal. It's too conservative. It's too progressive. It's too traditional. It's too closed-minded. It's too open-minded. The people, (laughs) they're hypocrites. They're mean-spirited. The leaders are all about the money. They're too hard. They're too soft. They're too mean. They're too ear-tickling. They're too harsh. They're too nice. They're hypocritical. They're heretics. They're too flashy. They're too fluffy. They won't speak on the issues. All they ever do is speak on the issues. There's too much gloom. There's too much joy. There's too much hair. All these observations about the church. We have all these things that we read, these things that we say so many times. Observations, negative observations about the church. So naturally, we blast it out, right? We blast it out in our blogs, our books, our rants. Our open letters, we say things like, this is what's wrong with the church. This is what's wrong with the American church, the Western church, the modern church. So we go on social media. By the way, social media is just a platform. Oh, it's a stage. It's just like a platform or a stage that a preacher would get up and stand up on and preach. The same as your social media platform when you stand on there and preach. You know, people use uh, social media to promote themselves And they criticize everything that doesn't look just like them. Sadly, all the criticism is right. It's 100% right. Yet at the same time, the criticism is 100% wrong. Your observation may be correct, but the attitude and the spirit in which you bring it is wrong. You see, anytime our attitude is not like Jesus's, it's wrong. And just like a religious spirit, a critical spirit is a spirit of the world. It's a worldly spirit. It's not owned by the church, nor is it birthed by the church. This is a spirit of the age and a spirit of the world. And it's important that we recognize where that spirit comes from. The reality about all these observations that 
is that observations don't bring forth change. Things are changed by, ca- by causation, not by observation. We can't just observe something and say it's a certain way and it bring forth change. No, there must be an element of causation to bring forth change. Observation alone won't do it. So someone might ask me, are you saying we shouldn't say anything about these issues? Absolutely. That's exactly what I'm saying. If you haven't talked to the person that you're criticizing, you shouldn't say anything. In fact, this is Jesus' model in Matthew chapter 15 and Matthew chapter 18. Jesus talks about that if we have a problem with someone, we're supposed to go to them. We're not supposed to go to social media. We're not supposed to go to our neighbor or our friend. We're supposed to go to that person that we are having an issue with. If we're not willing to say something privately to the person that we have an issue with, then we shouldn't say something publicly. I really believe that Jesus wants to have a healthy body. He wants to have a healthy representation on the earth. So how do we bring health to the body of Christ? I mean, these these are some issues. But how do we bring health to it? Can we just sit around and recognize and criticize? What can we really do to bring some health to the body of Christ? Well, I think the first issue, first thing that we have to do to bring health to the body is we must take ownership. See, the, the mentality that is the biggest issue in the church is the mentality that there is an us and the them. It's the to step outside of the church and speak of it as a thing that I'm not a part of. You see, in the kingdom, there is no us and them. There is just an us. We are the church. We need to own that thought. We need to take ownership. We are the church. There is no middle ground. Either we're part of the problem or we're part of the solution. You know, I, I posted, made a post on Facebook that I was going to be sharing this message, and it and it kind of felt like I was passing out bats as soon as I said something about dealing with the church. Everybody wanted to chime in. Everybody wants to take a swing at the church. Let me remind you today that you bought a field. You can talk about the weeds. You can talk about how you don't like the field work. You can go pull some weeds. You can nurture the grass. But complaining does no good. We are either in the world or we are in the church. And the anti-church spirit is a worldly spirit. It didn't come from Jesus. It didn't come from heaven. The spirit of criticism came from the spirit of this world. It's a spirit of division. And division, according to Galatians, is a work of the flesh. John chapter 15, Jesus says, The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. But you are no longer a part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world. So it hates you. See, our objective as as the church is not to be loved by the world. It's to reach the world, but not to be loved by the world. You see, regardless of the popular opinion that, that Jesus is up in heaven, depressed, discouraged about the state of the church, the American church, the Western church, can I tell you that Jesus isn't most, doesn't mostly think of the church as a failure Jesus doesn't mostly see the church as flawed. He mostly sees the church as his. It's weak, but it's his. 
It's flawed, but it's his, and he's perfecting it. Ephesians chapter 5, Jesus is talking about the relationship between husbands and their wives, and he makes this statement about husbands. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing through the word to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Years ago, I was preaching a message and I piped up full of pride and I made this statement. I said, the problem with the American church and immediately the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and he said, whoa, that's my bride you're about to talk about. And I remember feeling the rebuke of the Lord as I was about to land blast the church, as I was about to pull out my bat and start beating on the church. Ever since that moment, I've been very careful. I haven't been perfect, but I've, I've been careful trying not to, to make absolute statements about the church. You know, my wife is amazing. She's the most virtuous person that I've ever met. But even in all her beauty and all the things that I recognize her recognize in her life she is flawed she's got weakness she has struggles all those type of things it's one thing for me as her husband to recognize some of those things in her life it's another thing for a stranger or even a friend of mine or somebody else to come to me and bring criticism towards my wife that doesn't fly very well for a husband for someone to criticize his wife i believe jesus feels the same way when people criticize his church his bride. I don't think he likes it very much. You see, you can't separate Jesus from his body, nor can you separate him from his bride. When we speak out against the church, we're actually speaking out against ourselves. And I believe all this bride bashing must stop. If we've got an issue, then we need to take it up with Jesus. It's his bride, and he's the only one that can do anything to change her. So the first thing that we need to do to bring health to the body is to take ownership. Number two, if we're going to bring health to the body, is we need to enter into conversation, not accusation. I believe that there's great questions that we need to ask of one another, of the church, of ourselves. Are we doing all that we can do? Are we investing properly? Are we handling situations correctly? I think it's great to ask questions. In fact, in order to have healthy discussion, we've got to ask questions. We've got to ask the difficult questions. It's healthy when the motivation and the setting are correct uh, to, to ask questions. It's, it's, it actually becomes productive. You know, we look at the life of Jesus, and Jesus asked tons of questions. But can I tell you, so did the devil. The difference, the difference is when Jesus asks a question, it's a question of invitation. When the enemy asks a question, it's a question of accusation. And many times when we ask questions of the church, usually there's a tone or there's a criticisms behind the question. Can I tell you that those are just accusations? We need to have the conversations. We need to sit around. We need to have the discussions. But let's stop all this ranting and raving about how bad the church is. Let's ask questions that can actually make a difference. The third thing that we can do to bring health to the body 
is to enter into cooperation and not criticism. Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says, Be devoted to one another in love. Devoted, sold out to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. How can we honor and be devoted to one another if we're not championing their success and complimenting their weakness? The church is imperfect. The church is weak. But will we step in and offer our strengths or will we just scrutinize and criticize the weakness that we have? Listen, we all need Jesus. I agree. We need to stop making excuses. We all need to look more like Jesus. But criticism alone isn't going to do it. We've got to get in there with cooperation and get our hands dirty, shut our mouths, and get our hands dirty and help bring unity to the body of Christ. You know, the problem with criticism is Many times it can develop in us an elitist mentality. I remember years ago when I was being discipled through an incredible ministry, uh, we would walk the streets and pass out flyers and uh, memorize scripture and talk to people about Jesus. And in those days, I thought everybody should be doing exactly what I was doing. I was frustrated with the American church because people were comfortable in their pews and people were dying and going to hell. And why isn't everybody on the streets like I am? Why aren't they doing what I am doing? It's a critical spirit that comes from comparison. and gives us that kind of elitist mentality. But it's all driven by ego. You know, our opinion is one of the biggest idols in our culture, our opinion. Man, would we lay that down? Would we be willing to lay down our opinion and our criticism and cooperate with the body of Christ to make it better? Let me just say this. If you're only a, the, the only opinion that you ever voice about the church is negative, then you're not part of the, the solution. You're part of the problem. How do we do this? How do we cooperate? We cooperate by serving, not demanding. We need to keep our mouth shut and get our hands dirty. What are we willing to do to bring health to the body of Christ? Observation doesn't do anything. We've got to get in and get our hands dirty. Number three, compassion, not contention. Years ago, I was with a friend of mine, Billy Humphrey, and we were driving by a church in El Paso. And we saw on the side of this building, it said, We love thy church, O Lord. I mean, huge letters, like six-foot letters on the side of this church. And we kind of laughed. And what does that mean, we love thy church, O Lord? What kind of mission statement is that? And, you know, I've come to learn that that's a pretty good thing to put on the side of your church. Jesus kind of said something that would make us want to steer in that direction in John chapter 13. Jesus says this, verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another as I have also loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Wow, isn't it interesting? Jesus said that people would know All men would know that we're disciples of Jesus, not because of our humanitarian effort or because we're great neighbors or because we're working at a soup kitchen. None of those things. He said that we, that people would know that we're disciples of Jesus because we love one another. 
Can I tell you that, that there's so many scriptures in the New Testament about love, but most of those are in the context of love among the brotherhood of those in the body of Christ? How quick we are to criticize and to not be loving to one another and just point out the negative. I heard of a book wrote one time called They Love Jesus But Hate the Church. That seems like a contradiction to me. In fact, it says in 1 John 4, 20, if someone says, I, claims to, that they love God but hates his Christian brother, that that person is a liar. How can we love Jesus and hate the church? That's impossible. It's counterproductive. We must have compassion for the church, not contention, not frustration, not division. Compassion. How do we show compassion? I think one of the great ways that we show compassion is, is through forgiveness. Man, if I could do a, a poll on how many people have been hurt by the church, I mean, the, the numbers would be alarming. We've probably all been hurt by the church, its leaders, its people. I know I have. But forgiveness is the currency of love. How much we love is measured by how willing we are to forgive. Listen, I'm not saying the hurt's not legit, but anger, frustration, complaining, those things don't make the pain go away. Only love and forgiveness do. So I encourage you, love like Jesus loves. Have compassion. Have compassion on your brothers and sisters that have weak, that have failed, that have made mistakes, that have blown it just like you've blown it many times. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2 says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should rebuke him. No, no, no. That's not what it says. You who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back on the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's bur burdens, and in this way, you will obey the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? The law of Christ is love. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Listen, we have got to enter into a love affair relationship with the church. We must love our brothers and sisters in the Lord and stop having such an anger and frustration, even when they hurt us, we would love them. We would forgive them. This is what we're preaching to the world. How can we preach it if we're not living it in the church? And it's not just about being offended and forgiveness ourselves, but many times we take up on the offense of others. We feel this righteous indignation rise up in us to, to defend those that can't defend themselves. And we take up a secondary offense. I've noticed many times in my life whenever someone's hurt me that those around me have a harder time forgiving them than I do. It's called a secondary offense. And sometimes it can be much worse than being the person that's actually in the heat of it, being offended. You know, part of our desire in, at our church is that we could really restore people that have been wounded and, and beaten uh, by the church, those that have left the church. We, we refer to these as, as people that are de-churched. Our heart is to come in and reclaim them. Can I tell you that there's really no such thing as being de-churched? You can't be de-churched if you're a believer in Jesus. If you're a believer in Jesus, then you are the church. Number four, community, not isolation. John chapter 17, verse 21, Jesus prays this. I pray that they would be one just as you and I are one. 
Jesus is praying for us. Man, I would love to answer the prayer of Jesus to become one with my brother and sisters in Christ. That the body of Christ would be one, just as the scripture we read earlier in Ephesians. That we be one body. That we keep the unity of the Spirit with the bond of peace. Answering the prayer of Jesus, being one. How does that happen? It happens through community. The word community means common unity. That I would get in and I would work. That I would serve in my church. That I would grow in my church. That I would struggle in my church. That we would do these things together. Serve together. Grow together. Struggle together. We can only be the body of Christ if we are together. Community, not isolation. Nothing can be accomplished by separating ourselves outside, looking objectively at the church and criticizing. No change must happen just like it happened to your heart, to your life, through the inside, through your heart. Change must happen through community, not through isolation. You see, God doesn't have a plan B. He's not going to come up with a different agenda to fixing the world. Jesus' plan on the earth is the church. What we don't need is another blog, another book, another Facebook rant. We need awakening. We need an awakening in our heart. We need to own up and get on our face and ask Jesus to purify our hearts. We need to love the church like Jesus loves the church. Man, if we prayed for every 10 times that we had a critical thought, things would be so much different. I'm believing that we need to come to bat for the church, that we would speak the best, believe the best, and put our hands to work to make her the most glorious church that the world has ever seen. 